Well, I want to preach this morning on something of which I know very little about. And many people are saying, so what's new, Phil? Uh, You do that every Sunday. Would Jesus friend me? Would he friend you? Would he friend us on Facebook? Honestly, I don't have a clue, and I don't have an answer for that this morning. Really, that is just a way to get us thinking about something that has become a huge part of everyday existence for us, daily lives, and that's social media. Social media is increasingly becoming one of the main ways that we communicate, one of the main ways that we have relationships with people. So really, this message is about friendships. It's about relationships. It's about real friendship. More and more of us use Facebook or Wikipedia, or we get on YouTube, or we tweet, Twitter, or we text, use email, virtual games. Um, And I want us to think about social media, not because there aren't more serious or bigger issues in our lives or in the world today. There are. Maybe it's because there are probably bigger and more serious things that uh, maybe something just a little lighter would be good for us today particularly coming out of the Meltdown series. And and quite frankly, some of you look like you could use a little lightness this morning. So let's just just talk about this. Currently, over 600 million users worldwide are on Facebook. And uh, the average Facebook user, it is said, spends over 20 hours a week on Facebook, the average. Uh, Twitter has more than 200 million users. We've seen the power of these social media as well as others in what has come to be called the Arab Spring, places like Egypt and Tunisia and the, and the tremendous upheavals that have happened there. Now, I am not on Facebook. Uh, don't feel guilty if you haven't friended me. Uh, but sometimes I peer over, the wife of my, uh, peer over the shoulder of my wife and my daughters. They are on Facebook, and, and I see what's there. And it's kind of fun to see other people's pictures and, and what's going on in their lives. I don't tweet. I have just begun relatively new to the texting world. As a matter of fact, this week, for the first time in all my years as a pastor, I was doing pastoral care via text. We had a person who had been taken, who went to the hospital for emergent care in in an ICU unit, and she was texting me that she was there and what was happening, and I was texting back. What makes it even more remarkable, this person, some of you know her, her name is Pauline Forster. She's a senior citizen. We think of texting mostly. You know, people in their 60s, 70s, 80s don't shy away from this, but there she was texting me what was going on, and I was texting back. I wasn't with her. We weren't on the phone together. This was new for me. And then this week, uh, a lovely young woman in our congregation, she goes to the, uh, the mount. Her name is Amy Moose. She sent me an email inviting me to join her circle of friends on Google+. I've never been invited by anybody yet to be in their circle of friends via Google+. I didn't even know about Google+. This week, my nephew, 19-year-old nephew, who is in California, big texter, Facebook guy, announced and signed off on his, that he was done with Facebook, and he signed it out because he said he was so disgusted with the way people talk with one another and relate to one another on Facebook. He says, I'm done with it, and he's off now. I don't do Facebook, but many of you know I do do a blog. I keep a blog, uh, utahgrace.tumblr.com, where I share my profundities and all the things I think about with the world. 
Uh, I was encouraged to do this as a way for people maybe to interact with me in a different way, have access with me. I am told that I have 13 followers. Wow, 13. I know it's impressive, isn't it? Social media is having a huge impact in our lives. One psychologist found that boys and young men are spending so much time on the Internet and on video gaming that they are becoming addicted to stimulation in all areas of their lives. Uh, This psychologist says that by the age of 21, boys spend 10,000 hours gaming, and two-thirds of that time they've been in isolation. They're not with anybody. uh, They're not relating to anyone. It's just them and the game. And so their brains are being rewired to always need change, always need novelty, always need excitement. Slow, constant, more passive things just don't work for them. And because of this, and because relationships are built gradually and subtly, and relationships often take time and nurture, uh, many boys and young men are, are totally dysfunctional in relationships today. This is, they, they especially lack social skills with women uh, because they've lost the ability to build these relationships and, and, in a meaningful way because uh, they, they need constant, immediate arousal. As a matter of fact, one of the sad results is that young men are turning to Internet porn, which is becoming an uh, epidemic in our society. I would say Christianity is probably suffering from an addiction to stimulation as well. Uh, Unless people now in churches are stimulated by the messages or by the music or by the programs or the technology in a church, we become dissatisfied. Uh, And we become more demanding, maybe less patient with God's timing and God's pace. I think it affects our view of God, how we relate to him. I really do. Marshall McLuhan became famous uh, for his analysis of media and how it shapes our perception. Back in the 60s, he was popular. And he said, we shape our tools, and afterwards, our tools shape us. You can put that on your status or Facebook page and smoke it, huh? How should we think? How should we... um, How should we think about social media in the light of our faith? That's the question I want to ask this morning. And in the light of the lordship of Jesus Christ, what is it doing to our relationships? What's it doing to our communication, our ability to love or not to love? Because, you know, Jesus said, that's the mark. If you belong to me, if you're my disciple, love is the thing. Are we becoming closer with one another? Is social media helping us love one another better? Is it... Is it building our expectations that we have in relationships and making better friendships? Are we less lonely? Are we less misunderstood? Is there less brokenness in our lives and in our world because of social media? It's no wonder we find social media attractive because it feeds something. And by the way, I'm not against social media. I'm just we're just talking about it today. Uh, It feeds something that is deeply ingrained in us. God has created us in his image. And part of being created in the image of God is that we are created for relationships. 
God is one, but he exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that relationship is at the center of who God is. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always existed. They have always existed in a relationship of love and of communication and of cooperation. God doesn't exist alone. Relationship comes from God. And we who are created in God's image are created for relationship. Genesis 2.18, God says in the garden, it's not good for the man to be alone. We're created to be in relationships. It's, it's part of being human. It's part of who we are. And we're created to know and to be known, to love and to be loved. And that is why things like loneliness and brokenness uh, or loss hurt so badly. And so we're created this way. We search for friendships. That's natural. That's the thing to do. You know, it's interesting that Facebook has now given us the term friend as a verb. It's not just a noun. You friend somebody. It's something you do to somebody else. One thing about social media, um, it, it makes friendship totally reliant on technology. If you don't have the computer, if you don't have your iPad or your iTechnology, uh, can someone be your friend? Got to have that. On Facebook, relationships are determined, aren't they, by pressing a button, either confirm or ignore. When I click a button to confirm that we are now friends, now is that an authentic friendship? And what does this do to the way we think about relationships being vital and being solid? We might want to be careful about who defines friendships for us. You know, for all the cries about being authentic and real that you often hear from the younger generation, you know, got to be real, got to be authentic. Um, and, and the younger generation's all about social media. Um, I wonder if social media is really lending itself to real commitment, real love, authentic friendships and communication. I mean, are the conversations that we have via tweeting or texting or even email, are those building relationships with one another or are relationships being trivialized? I wonder, I, I wonder, I don't know. I wonder if now family members, husbands and wives maybe, are under the same roof, but they speak to each other via text, via Facebook or email instead of talking face-to-face -face and voice-to-ear in the same house. Maybe you've experienced this scenario where you're uh, meeting someone and you're, and you're sitting at a table. Maybe it's a meeting. Maybe it's lunch. And the other person pulls out their cell phone to talk or to text somebody else or to tweet uh, like you aren't even there. And they're definitely not totally engaged with you. You ever felt kind of alienated, second rate because of that? Or we have this phenomenon where we can be sitting at the same table, but I'm totally alienating you because I'm on Skype with someone who's halfway around the world. I'm not even paying attention to you. We've lost maybe the ability to be present. What it means to be present for and with someone else. And what's the significance of our friends on Facebook to us? You know, I know for me, in any friendship, commitment, love, loyalty, those are important things to me in a friendship, uh, as is attention as his presence. Psalm 25, in the New Revised Standard Version, says that the friendship of the Lord 
is for those who fear him. And he makes his covenant known to them. Um, To fear the Lord is to give high honor to the Lord. It's to revere him. And a covenant is a relationship. That's what a covenant is. God's friendship. And yes, there's such a thing as being friends with God. Such a thing exists. It comes by revering the Lord. It comes by honoring the Lord in all our choices, in all our values, in all our actions. We fear the Lord. And then Jesus gave a commandment to those who would follow him, his disciples. He said, love one another as I have loved you. He defined the quality of the love he was talking about by the way that he loved us. Now think about Jesus' love. It was a sacrificial love. It was a love that spent itself and that gave its very life. And that's why Jesus goes on to say that, you know, no one has a greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Cost, sacrifice, giving. The qualification of friendship with Jesus is to love like this and to be obedient to his commands. Jesus set boundaries for friendship with him right there, John 12. John 15, he set some boundaries for friendship with him. And he said that we're called his friends because he's given us all that the Father has spoken to him. We are, you're no longer servants because you're now in on the master's business about loving one another. To love Jesus, to love the way Jesus wants me to love, I think it's going to require at some point more than me sitting at a computer or holding an iPhone in my hand, it's going to require some touch, personal investment, time, listening, humility, self-giving. Earl Palmer was a pastor in, in Berkeley in Seattle for many years, and he said, love is an event more than a word. That's how you love people. It's an event. Now, Jesus may not have texted. I don't think he Twittered. I'm pretty sure about that. But you know what? I would hold to everything he says about friendship, about love, about relationship, and let that guide me, even as I use texting, even as I Facebook and use other social media. Social media allows us to connect. But we need more than just connection. We need friendships. We need relationship. You know, there's a lot of complexity in relationships. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. There's good, and, there's good and bad. There's, there's easy and painful. There's a lot of give and take in relationships. Things that are enjoyable, things that are hard. But real, strong, healthy relationships take time. They can't always be just speeded up. They can't always be hurried. Just accumulating lots of people and labeling them as my friends runs the danger. There's a danger of treating people as just means to be used for my purposes. I can control a computer screen. I can, most of the time. But a lot of the complexity in relationships never shows up on that screen. Relationships take love, understanding, intimacy. Those don't always show up on a screen. They take time, they take growth. When Nancy and I were first becoming interested in, in one another way back when, uh, she left me for a nine-month church internship in Scotland. 
for nine months. And so we were apart uh, during that time for nine months. And I was just getting established as a new pastor in Philadelphia. So for nine long months, we were apart, and it was, you know, cost prohibitive in those days to call one another. There were no cell phones. It cost a lot if you were going to call overseas. We carried on our relationship by writing letters to one another. You remember letters? Any of you? When, when, you, when, when you sat down, you took out a piece of paper, and you took a pen, and you slowly and thoughtfully wrote down what you wanted to say to the other person. It was called a letter. In fact, most of our dating or courting or whatever you want to call it was done this way. And when they publish the Nancy and Phil story, and they take all our correspondence and you get to read it, uh, you'll be disappointed. There's not a lot of, you know, the kind of the syrupy, romantic uh, kind of stuff that a lot of others have. Maybe a little, but mostly, mostly those letters, I think, was about day-to-day activities, challenges, joys, things we were doing, our thoughts, lives. We were just sharing. And then, you know what? We had to wait for the return letter to come back, see what that person said. But I suppose, and I think the waiting did something. But we got to know each other that way. You know, for centuries, many people, that's the way they carried on a relationship. It was strengthened and developed from a distance by writing letters. Try that sometime. Slow down. You know, uh, one of the things technology has done to us is it has sped up our lives. Sped up my life, I know. In the name of efficiency. (laughs) Try it. Handwrite someone a note, a letter. Someone dear to you. Uh, It goes in an envelope. And you can get this thing. It's called a stamp. And then you put the stamp on the envelope. And then someone will come from the post office. And they will come and they will take that letter. And they will deliver it to the other person. Now, it'll take a couple days. So be patient, okay? And you'll have to wait if the person even writes back. But there's something to be said, I think, for spending the time to think about what we want to say, taking the time to express it in a way that takes into an account, you know, our heart and the other person. It's not always about speed and volume. So much of my life is reduced to speed and volume. It's about authentic communication to someone and nurturing that relationship. You know, Nancy's father used to, he used to, work on a draft of the letter before he actually wrote the letter. And sometimes he'd spend all day doing that. I tell you, he was a very authentic man, though. Very authentic. One of my values regarding technology is this. I don't want... I want to use technology. I don't want technology to use me. I want to use technology. I don't want technology to use me. And... You know, I just think it's good to talk about this in kind of a lighthearted way today because our faith is about relationships. Churches are about relationships. Our relationship with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but also our relationships with each other. And any healthy church is going to have healthy relationships with one another. Um, I think when we create our own uh, circle of friends via social media... Tell me if I'm wrong, but, I, but, but we seek out like-minded people. We filter out those who might be different for us, from us, and uh, certainly those we don't like or we don't want uh, to communicate with. But, you know, Christian faith is a one-another faith. 
Over 50 times, I think, in the New Testament, it says one another. You've got to do something to one another. You've got to love one another, welcome one another, forgive one another, uh, bear the burdens of one another, serve one another. Um, And it becomes harder and harder to live the New Testament lifestyle if there's no one another. If we aren't with one another. Not being with one another leaves out a lot of the messiness of Christian faith and church life. And if you read the New Testament, you have got to get messy if you're going to participate in the life of Jesus and following Jesus. It's often quite unremarkable and it's often quite full of problems. And that's the way relationships often are. Churches are full of relationships, but I'll tell you another thing about churches. They are also sacramental. And this is what I mean by that. Sacramental. Churches are places where the inward, the invisible, the spiritual is made outward and made physical so that we can see it. I mean, the heart of Christianity is that the unseen God became real in the flesh and blood person of Jesus Christ so that we could see and touch and feel and hear him. And ever since that, you know, God didn't come electronically, nor did he come just as information. And ever since he came, his followers have tried to do the same by enfleshing his presence in the world with 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 words and acts of love in real everyday actions, grace, reconciliation, mercy. And, And and, you know, God made us with five senses. That's part of the being made in his image. And we don't use smell, taste, or touch when we Facebook, tweet, or text. And there's a danger, if that's all I live on, there's a danger in, in being less than the fully embodied person God has made me to be, if I'm not using those senses, too. But church is a place where we can come and we rehabilitate those senses. We remind ourselves, what does it mean to be created in the image of God? Who I am, what I'm made for. And worship is one place. We use all five of our senses here, don't we? As a matter of fact, the table of our Lord is where we use all five senses. In seeing, in hearing, in touching, in smelling, in tasting, we are reminded of God, what he did for us through Christ, our salvation, our forgiveness, his love for us, and his grace. Inward, spiritual, invisible things made visible, outward, sacramental. The Lord gave us the bread and the cup so that he could relate to us and we could relate with him. And, you know, at this table, we don't get to confirm or ignore our friends who we want to be with. That's God's call. And oftentimes we break bread and we share the cup with someone who we would rather not be with it's part of being part of the body of christ that messiness this table i think brings us together with one another and with the lord it's a table of relationship it's a table for those who fear the lord it's a table of those who want to love one another and in some way god's holy spirit makes this happen for us and we are nurtured and we are strengthened in our relationship as friends of God. Amen.